We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Generosity can be measured in many ways, but how can you measure the generosity of a living donor donating an organ to someone else when that someone else is a complete stranger? That's just part of the organ donor story that we're discussing today. Joining me in studio are Dr. Crystal Lentine as a nephrologist and director of living donation at SSM, SSM Health, St. Louis University Hospital. Cody Woolley is the transplant coordinator at that same institution, and Jane Beckman donated her kidney to a complete stranger. Thank you all so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thanks for having us. Cody, let me just start with you. What, what sort of a need is there in this community for organ donors? Well, there's definitely a, a huge need in our community for organ donors. Um, there's a huge gap between how many people need kidneys and how many are available. And so living donors serve to uh, bridge that gap. Are we only talking kidney donors and, and the need in, in the kidney arena? Yes. Right. Yeah, today we'll talk about kidney donors. There's a, there's a, a need across different spectrum of organ failure. Sure. But if I can continue a little bit um, on on what Cody raised, that now briefly when the kidneys fail, the, the treatment options are dialysis or, or transplant. And transplant is really a superior treatment for kidney failure for a number of reasons. And among transplant options, living donor transplant is the best. It can offer the fastest time to transplant, even bypassing the need for waiting or shorting the time on dialysis. And importantly, organs from living donors also tend to work better. So some important statistics for our community that five-year patient survival after a living donor transplant is 85% compared with 75% after deceased donor transplant and only 40% on dialysis. And to just make one point about, about the need, currently there are 100,000 persons on the waiting list for a kidney transplant. This includes 1,000 persons waiting in the St. Louis area for a deceased donor. So that speaks to the need, and clearly that uh, there is that need. Uh, well, let me turn now to the lady, Jane Beckman, who uh, donated her <laughs> kidney. Uh, tell me your story, Jane. I mean, what, what motivated you to decide to do this for a complete stranger? Well, uh, I read an article in the newspaper uh, about a guy who needed a kidney. He walked around Disney World. This was in late January. I read the article with a T-shirt said, I need a kidney. And another guy saw the T-shirt, and he said, hey, maybe I can do that. And he called and threw a, a long series that I now know they had to go through, he donated and they did a story on it. I thought, you know what, maybe I can do that. I'm in a great place in my life where I'm old enough that I felt the odds of me needing the other kidney, probably low. I'm young enough that I thought there are probably still a few good miles left on the old girl, and somebody would need it more than I would. I'm 58 years old. Um, I was in good health, but the main thing is I've just been so lucky in in a million different ways. Got a great husband, 31 years, fabulous job at the St. Louis Crisis Nursery, uh, where our CEO, Diane Miller, is all about caring and giving and taking care of other people. But but mostly I've been lucky in my health. It's just such the luck of the draw when it comes to health. So many health issues are are just dumb luck. 
I, I didn't do anything to deserve my amazing good luck. And, well, and you've taken very good care of yourself. I know, but still there's a lot of things where people take care of themselves and they just have bad luck or sick kids. Or, And I thought, if I can, if I can help somebody else catch a break, mm-hmm. I think that's all, you know, I've caught a lot of breaks. Maybe somebody else needs a break. So I picked up the phone. What's your relationship now with the, with the recipient? I got to meet him a couple of times. He and his wife are both from Arkansas, um, so I don't get to see him a lot. I saw him two days after the surgery and then again uh, about a month later. Um, so, yeah, that's that's all I've, I've met him. Doctor, what, the, what would the uh, prognosis have been had this gentleman not received the kidney? Well, again, um, so talking about the sur- survival statistics at, at the beginning, so dialysis is um, an important therapy in that it can do the work of the kidney, but it, it it's an inferior treatment compared to transplant. So again, five-year survival on dialysis is only forty percent. And where was he in this uh, in this process in terms of time? Um, and, that actually, I don't know how long yeah. he was on the waiting list. He seat. had been doing dialysis for two years, I believe. I thought, yeah, I think two or three years. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that touched me is his father passed away from kidney disease. So when he started on dialysis, he and his wife. They knew how that story ends. They, it was such knew. a hardship on their family because they have to travel to many different centers in their area and ended up here in St. Louis. Another part of the story, if I have it correctly, is the fact that the this gentleman's wife then donated her kidney. Right. I mean, it was, talk about a chain she reaction. She wanted to donate directly to him but kidney. was unable yeah. to because of blood type matching. Right. Yeah. So, Go ahead. Doctor. Oh, I just wanted to say the Jane story il- illustrates some really important points about uh, changes in trends in living donation and changes in the relationship between donors and their recipients. So initially, the living donor transplant occurred between blood relatives, and in fact, the first living donor transplant was between identical twins. Mm-hmm. With modern immunosuppression being related is is no longer needed, and in in fact. Um, Donation from unrelated persons, spouses, and friends is the largest growing form of living donation. Jane is um, very unique in being what, what's called a non, non-directed donor, mm-hmm. um, but there is currently about 250 of such donations per year. And it is particularly beneficial to the field of, of transplantation and to patients in need because non-directed donors often start off kidney-paired exchange, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what she did. Cody, tell me something about the process. I mean, Jane just walks through your door and she says to you. She called me on the phone. <laughs> Say, I want to give somebody <laughs> my she kidney. She was very healthy. We did an initial yeah. health screen, and she passed through that process. And then we talked to her about coming to our center to do a 24-hour urine collection, do some initial blood work. And uh, we just checked to make sure that she's medically healthy, um, psychologically. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's an important that. part of and it. And also right? financially, um, we don't want people to be too pressed in their lives. Yeah. Is this something, that Jane, that you had to pay for? Not at all. Huh. Not at all. The, the uh, recipient's insurance pays for everything. Now, um, medically. medically. Medically, yeah. But and travel expenses, child care, time off work, things yeah, like that. Sure. There's, there's some expense. And then um, they did find when they did a CAT scan that I had a lesion on my liver. And that yeah. was unrelated to the kidney. And so I had to have the MRI just to make sure. And, I mean, I think, what a blessing. What if it had been something? That still would have been a blessing if it had been something bad. But it turned out to be nothing. Good. What, what Talking about the psychology and the psychological impact of this, can you give me some sense of what you were going through in that regard? Um, you know, it's like a lot of things. If you, if you uh, focus on the side effects or possible 
repercussions. You would never take an aspirin, right? Mm -hmm. If you listen to the end of those commercials, it goes on and on. So I chose to focus on the fact that I was working with an amazing crew. I mean, the fact that I called St. Louis U and and talked to Cody first thing, I I didn't know what I was going in. I thought they would say, sure, come down on Tuesday and we'll do it. I had no (laughs) idea that four months of tests would go by. And it worked very closely with Cody. Uh, Dr. Varma, my surgeon, Dr. Lentine, they were all so amazing. And that, again, was just good luck for me. I mean, what if I had called somewhere else? But everything was super good luck. They were amazing. Doctor, what are the risks of this kind of surgery to both the donor and the recipient? Sure. um, I think let's focus um, first on the the living donors. So uh, donors do undergo a a surgical procedure, so donation can never be risk-free, and then also donate Mm. half of their the kidney mask. Um, so the the risk related to surgery, 90-day mortality after the donation surgery is, is very low. It's estimated at 0.03%, so that's less than the risk of, say, having a gallbladder removed or an appendix removed. And further, that's a 90-day estimate, which includes some unrelated events like car accidents or, or trauma. As um, Jane described, living donors do undergo a very rigorous health evaluation to ensure that they're healthy enough to undergo surgery and also live a long life with with one kidney. So in that evaluation process, people are are carefully selected. Um, But we can never, because of a human population, completely eliminate risks. So we do educate um, donors about all related risks and want them to make an informed decision. So our, our job is to communicate that and to really emphasize that the decision to donate is entirely that of the, the donor. It's never about the, the recipient and that they have the option to decline mm-hmm. donation at any time, even right up until the morning They were very surgery. clear about that all along the way. Anytime I wanted to change my mind, anything that bothered me at all, they were there. It was There was never any pressure from St. Louis U at all about, oh, come on, aren't you? Sh-? None of that. It was all about taking care of me, making sure that I was making the right decision, making sure I was going to be fine afterwards. And that's why, Don, when you asked about the um, some indications of the recipient, we actually have a separation of the donor and recipient's right. team. So my job was to focus on the, the care of Jane, and then there's a separate team to avoid any conflict of interest. So what, we're all about her. What's the percentage of rejection of these organs? Um, so tra- the concept of a, um, a acute rejection basically means that the body's launching an immune response to a donated organ. Overall, about 10% of kidney transplants have a rejection event within the first year. Those are, um, for the most part, responsive to an increase in immunosuppression. The rate of rejection for living donor transplants actually is lower than deceased donor transplants, and that's because the living donation process is less immunologically stressful. So the, the grafts last longer. They have less of these rejection events. But the term rejection does not mean that the graft has failed. It's a clinical event that we can usually treat. Cody, um how many people have come to you and changed their mind? I've had a few. How do you deal with that? I mean, that's you certainly understandable why somebody would Oh, definitely. Would take that I would routine. support them no matter what. Yeah. And I think Jane could even attest to um, that we sometimes she had to push me. Yeah. Um, very, she said, I'm careful. standing on the high dive and I want to jump <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because, you know, they, it, it, it felt to me like in the moment 
geez, there's a guy getting, or somebody, a woman, a child. They, I didn't even know anything about the recipient going mm-hmm. in. There's Again, there's yeah. so you don't get emotionally attached in any way. I thought, somebody is going through all this dialysis. Let's go, people. Let's go, people. But I see now that a lot of it is, let's just make sure you're not rushing into anything, Jane. Let's just make sure you're good with this. So it's all, I think, part of their plan. So, Cody, Jane comes into your office and uh, says what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. What do you do then with regard to finding uh, the recipient? How do, you, how do you do that? Well, in this case, choose? we had an opportunity to start a chain uh, because I had Jennifer, who wanted to donate to Jack and was not a match, she was able to donate that, to that's Jack. That's the recipient's wife. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Jennifer donated to someone from our list. So in our protocol, we've made those folks a priority. Right. But, but otherwise, if, if someone wanted to serve as a non-directed donor and say just donate do it directly to a list, lists are priori- deceased donor lists are prioritized on in terms of by national allocation policy. So we would choose someone at the top right. of the list. We have a, uh, a question here. Healthcare topics and experiences can often be uh, fr- a fraught arena these days, whether politically or financially and so forth. Organ donation certainly has its challenges, but does the generosity and new life that this particular specialty involves help keep you passionate about a- the work you do, and how so? Well, I'll start with you, Dr. Wright. I'm extremely passionate about the field. That's why, why we're here. We, I can, we, I can yeah, sense that. Right. But we, we love what we do, and I think, it, you know, having been a, the, the kidney doctor for, for many years and taking care of patients across the spectrum that there's um, nothing like a, a well-functioning transplant, and particularly a living donor transplant for restoring patients to health. I mean, tra- transplant, cha- it saves lives, it transforms lives, and you know, getting people off dialysis is a wonderful gift. So, But occasionally, Cody, you lose somebody. You have to. I mean, there are, there's always that chance. Sure. How do you, how, how do you deal with that? I mean, that's... I was a nurse on the floor, and I yeah. took care of patients who struggled. Um, but you really feel like you're giving them a chance to get back to life, um, to work, to volunteer, to travel. Dialysis, you're tethered to a machine three times a week for four hours at a time. You can imagine what a hard, hardship. Yeah. How, how, Jane, how did it change your life, if at all? You know, not my, my, I was out of work for two weeks. Um, I, I'm sort of a runner, and they told me I couldn't do that for a little bit. I couldn't uh, lift heavy things, but but overall, uh, my recovery was was very easy. I attribute that to the skill of my surgeon, Dr. Varma, and the help of the folks at St. Lucie. I mean, they just couldn't have been better. So I was in great hands, and I was in pretty good shape going in. So um, for me, it went great. And um, the change afterwards, now I met some great people. You know, I feel like I help somebody. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to spread the word. That's what I want to do now is there might be somebody else sitting at the kitchen table who might be in a good place who might think, hey, you know, maybe I could do mm-hmm. that. Maybe I'll make the call and well, see what happens. Otherwise, your life hasn't changed, I guess. No, yeah. not at all. Well, I, I can't take ibuprofen, right? That's, oh. <laughs> that was my thing, right? right. But, but other than that, there's no lifestyle change as far as some people think, well, can you still have a, have a glass of wine? Yeah, I can. I mean, it's just the ibuprofen. Right. Let's take a call. Cynthia is joining us from Kirkwood. Uh, Cynthia, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hello. My sister um, had a head injury in February. Um, Suddenly, she was otherwise completely healthy. Um, She was in a coma, and all of her her heart was healthy, her kidney, liver, everything was completely healthy. And we asked to have her organs donated 
and they said that she was too old, that there's no organ transplant after, I believe it was the age of 50 or 55. She was 59. <clears throat> and it sounds like your caller um, who donated the kidney was in her late 50s. So I'm it, I'm hearing this, and it, this is disheartening to me because we would give anything to have been able to donate her, her organs. Mm. Um, and we we looked as far as we could under the circumstances to get all of the information, and that's what all of the experts told us. Doctor, would you like yeah, to take that? Well, um, there may have been extenuating factors. So one thing, again, um, we are talking about different types of organ donation. Jane served as a living donor, which I will say just for the audience out there, there actually is no upper age limit to living kidney do- donation, and the um, main li- limitation tends to be related to kidney function. So kidney function tends to decline a little bit with aging, and often older people um, just don't have su- sufficient function. Now, with regard to a case of um, deceased donation, there I would say, ma'am, there may have been some extenuating circumstances, but, um, yeah, that age limit sounds a little perplexing to me. I don't know if you have any input, Cody. I'm very sorry for your loss. Um Sometimes when I'm on call, we get deceased donor uh, offers, and we review them very carefully, and we uh, really try to use as many as possible. Um, Sometimes if the person has had a lot of medicine to try to keep them alive, it can do damage to the organs. Not sure Mm -hmm. in your case, but I I do apologize. Cody, is there a story you can tell us that maybe best illustrates the the drama of all of this? Uh, See what I'm getting at? There must be certain situations you've come across that have been different than others. Well, each one is very exciting. Um, today, actually, we are doing a transplant at St. Louis University Hospital with a um, donor who is donating to one of her um, family members' relatives. And um, it's going to be a huge help because she's donating to a young person. And so for that, it's especially um great to see her have a chance to go back to school and uh, have a productive life. Doctor, how long does a surgery such as this take? It, it can vary, but the uh, taking out the, the kidney, so the nephrectomy usually takes a, a couple hours, and then the, the transplant is, as well. In that uh, range. Are, the, are the patients in the same room? Next to the, each other? No, no, the oper- no, no, <laughs> no, not, not that's in, what I thought. You, you just take it out and go room. to another that's room with I it, thought. huh? Right, not in the same room. But if we could t- take a moment just to outreach to our, our community. So, again, Jane is very special in giving to someone that, that she didn't know. But one really important message for patients with, with kidney failure is to just be uh, open about their their disease. And the more we find that the more people share with their so- social network to share about their, their kidney disease and their need that people who know them um, may, may step forward and sharing on their, their social network through social media and various mechanisms can be very helpful. So sharing that need can often be scary. Wearing a T-shirt at Disney World, apparently. <laughs> right. uh, our, our time is winding down, but I'll, I'll tell our listeners that we have some information we'll put on our website uh, concerning the National Living Donor Assistance Center, a federally funded grant program that could be helpful. But uh, there's too much in front of me here to read it now because our time is up, but we'll put it on our website. Thanks, uh, Dr. Kristen Lentine. Great to see you. Cody Willard, thank you for being with us. Jane thank Beckman, you. congratulations to you for what you've done. Thank very, you. Very noble indeed. We're very proud of her. Thank you. Yes, we all are. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Don Marsh.